0: Welcome to the Art of Healthcare podcast, where we aim to be as good at the human side of healthcare as we are at the clinical side of healthcare. My name is Chris Desmond, I'm a physiotherapist who's fascinated by how we can better help the person with the problem. Join us as we learn how to connect better, how to show up better, and how to understand our patients and ourselves better. Welcome to the Art of Healthcare podcast, uh, where we have conversations with experts, which help us get better at helping the person with the problem. Today, I'm joined by Rachel Callender. Rachel is a speaker, an author, a trainer in healthcare communication, um, and loves upskilling healthcare professionals in that area. She's also a uh, kick-ass artist as well. Um, Rachel, thanks for joining me today.
1: My absolute pleasure, Chris.
0: I when I when I first thought of putting this podcast together, you uh, I I think you were number one on my list. I'm like, I need (laughs) to talk to Rachel about this stuff. So I'm very excited to have a have a chat with you today. My first question for you is: Why are you interested in the in the people stuff of healthcare? Why are you interested in the artistry of healthcare?
1: I love that you call it the artistry of healthcare, and I think maybe. Being an artist myself, like full disclosure and disclaimer, I'm not a healthcare professional at all. And I kind of fell into this role through um, a very significant lived experience. So my background is actually art. So I studied fine art in Dunedin um, a million years ago and I'm actually a past wedding and portrait photographer. But it was when my daughter Evie was born with a very rare chromosome condition And the the language that was used around it during diagnosis and then the whole kind of process and journey of her life and then um, death at two and a half years old, I realized that how I was being communicated with really affected how I coped, how I perceived my future, how I perceived my child and how I connected and trusted the healthcare professionals. So it became a really powerful, um, I guess, there was a lot of insights in that, that space. And then after Evie died, I was asked to uh, do a TED talk around this because I published a book, which was basically an antidote to all of the language that was used around Evie, which was very deficit focused. You know, there was a lot of dis words, you know, she was defective and abnormal and dysmorphic and mutated and retarded and disabled. And you, know, you can feel this weight of language. And so I made this book to to counteract that narrative as a way to celebrate life and to see the person rather than the list of failing body parts. And so that kind of put me on this trajectory of healthcare communications because I became so passionate about language and how that does affect the really crucial relationship between a parent, a patient, and a healthcare professional. And I realized that healthcare professionals find this really, really difficult because They need to communicate everything that's going on, the significant diagnoses, the big language, um, but so often it's not understood and there's confusion and there's um patronization and there's dehumanizing, and all of these things are barriers to information being shared.
0: Firstly, thank you so much for sharing that. <laughs> um, that's i mean your your lived experiences is, is so powerful in this space, and I think like speaking as a healthcare professional, maybe not for all, all healthcare professionals, um, but the, the language that we're taught these concepts in as well is very scientifically focused. It's, um, mm. it's often very biomedical. It's, um, it's been ingrained. It's come out of textbook. There's Latin origin to a lot of these words. Mm. And we're taught all of these concepts, through our undergraduate studies, um, through their postgraduate work that we do, and then we're asked to try and communicate these concepts to someone who doesn't have all of this, all of this training and all of this background knowledge that that we have. Um, and often it's we we learn from mentors that have come through really similar processes to us, um, potentially ten or fifteen years beforehand when communication skills were even less valued than, than maybe they were. So it's, it is really challenging, and it's understandably hard for us to kind of articulate sometimes in a way that people can understand. And I think it's, it's really easy as healthcare professionals to just say, oh, I explained it. They didn't get it. That's their problem. Whereas mm-hmm. actually it's on us we we have um we have this healthcare knowledge we need to be able to collaborate with people and um and help them understand and help them through a really really challenging time of their life and and the language that we use is is vital in that um yeah what are the what are some of the things that you see with healthcare professionals in regards to the language that they, that they use? Like, what are, what are some of the negative um, themes that, that come across for you?
1: Well, just, I guess, again, like in my work, I've, I've never wanted to make anyone wrong. And so in this Mm. work, often it's kind of, um, it's seen as you know the bad doctor or the mean yep. doctor that you know that said this dumb thing or there was this negative experience and there's a lot of judgment and um things get personal very quickly because there's so much emotion involved but my work is about stripping that and not about making anyone wrong because mm-hmm. I realize it's difficult for everybody like you say you've got all this knowledge and you've done all the training and it's almost like then you have to then untrain yourself to come back to a, <laughs> a really basic level again and I liken it to um You know, when you're learning a new language or you're learning the basics of anything, you know, your patient or your client in front of you might be just at the very beginnings of an ABCs kind of level and you're kind of right up here in academia and how are you ever going to communicate? And so it's about kind of stripping it back and coming down to meet the level of that person because often with with the negative experiences that you've talked about, it can just lead to so much unnecessary additional pain and trauma um, and so many examples of interviews with parents and healthcare professionals all around the world. Everybody is finding this so hard and everyone is frustrated and everyone's angry at each other because it's like, we don't, you don't get it. You don't get it. Like nobody's talking about this, um, the human essentially. And so what I've found is I've been able to, over the years, um, kind of distill all of these interviews and stories into um different kinds of language that you that's used. And I've kind of created a tool that sort of puts language in four different quadrants. Um, and there's like a there's a positive axis and a negative axis. So if you can imagine a positive here and negative here and then jargon, yep. Jargon and, and um, informative over there. And then each quadrant is kind of like there's a positive jargon quadrant, um, a n- negative jargon and then a negative informative and then a positive informative. So a lot of language just sort of falls into one of those spheres, and in medicine, mostly it lands in often negative jargon because most people don't speak medicine. Like you said, like it takes what five five to ten years to learn everything, and like you say, there's Latin origins. I'm like we don't even speak Latin, and like the average person doesn't speak medicine. And I remember when I was first being Given Evie's long list of diagnoses, you know, they said she had multiple ventricular septal defects and I'm just like, what the world is that, you know? But I would have understood heart holes (laughs) because that's what that is. And eventually I learned what that was and I could rattle it off and use the anagrams and blah, blah, and it was all fine, but not straight away. So I think it's about um, sharing information when it's needed and when it's applicable and it's most useful so not rattling off the whole list of things, but kind of starting with what's the most important and how can I explain that in a way that's um, understood. And to be honest, the best way to do that is just to ask a lot of questions. And I think maybe healthcare professionals feel the pressure to give all the information because um, that is your work, right? You give all the information, you share your knowledge. But sometimes the most powerful thing you can do is kind of just keep asking and checking in and asking and checking in. Otherwise, there is so much room for um, negative experiences and misunderstandings, and you know, um, added trauma.
0: Yeah, and I find that the almost the deluge of information that that you can get, and I've I've been, I guess, the words probably privileged to be on both sides of the uh, the patient journey um, mm-hmm. in a way, both with. Um, broken bones and things for myself um, but also, also uh, for my kids as well um, going through the neonatal intensive care unit um, and spending a lot of time around there and around health professionals in, in that capacity as well as my day job as a physiotherapist and just that sometimes the amount of information that is given and, and disseminated and from the health professional who thinks that, that they are doing a, a, a really valuable job and in informing someone of of everything that's going on is too much mm. for them. And even mm. someone who someone like myself who is reasonably health literate, um, having a whole lot of stuff coming at me in quite a stressful situation is is very overwhelming and very mm. overloading.
1: Yeah, because physically you can't actually absorb it. Like you go into shock and then your brain, like science, I mean, you probably know this about, you know, when you just physically cannot contain the information, your brain shuts down in protection mode, right? When you're Mm -hmm. just overwhelmed with fear and and stress and anxiety. And that's often the case um, with especially difficult diagnoses. So it's a really, it's fraught with peril, this space for everybody. And I know a lot of healthcare professionals have tried to use humor or metaphor as a way to explain things. And sometimes it has worked and sometimes it doesn't. And there's been um parents who have just said, look, I think they were trying to be nice, but it just added more stress. And, you know, there's stories of anesthetists, you know, with genetic parents, you know, with different genetic um conditions with their kids and and, the, and they're just talking to the parents like well who's which one of you is responsible for this problem and the poor mum's put up her hand and you know just trying to be funny but not and it's just it doesn't always land or in the neonatal intensive care unit and nurse trying to be light but saying oh look at this little child she was naughty overnight and stopped breathing and the poor parents are like this how could this child be naughty like it's not her fault mm-hmm. like they're, they're adding all this extra weight and it's just Communication and language and throwaway comments and little things can add so much um, angst. And um, some parents have said it kind of they're the scars that are left behind from those traumatic experiences. And it's so difficult because the the healthcare professionals are doing their best. They're holding so much. They're running from one thing to the other thing and they haven't had time to clear their heads. And they're just kind of they're dealing with it all as well. And I'm sure that they're stress is just through the roof and like the stats are horrific for burnout um, and stress in the healthcare system so like how can we make this better for everybody because it is, it is hurting too many people
0: Yeah, and here in New Zealand, uh, just recently I was listening to an interview on Radio New Zealand the other day about a new study about uh, medical specialist burnout here in New Zealand and just ridiculously high levels. And you can make the argument that COVID has played a part, but actually the numbers are similar to what they were pre-COVID as well, that it's tough for for everybody. But I think that's that's a little bit of an excuse as mm-hmm. well there are there are other things that we need to do to address that problem mm. but we also need to be working on our ability to communicate in a way that connects with the person and that is reassuring and uplifting and allows them to uh allows them the best chance of recovery as a patient or allows them as a family member or a support person the best chance to support whoever it is that they're caring for as well and, mm. and if you, going back to your going back to your quadrant uh four quadrant mm. model um of the the positive negative jargon informative i guess like what what we are ideally wanting to work towards is a positive informative communication style with our patients yeah. no matter kind of what what segment that we're sitting in currently how can yeah. we how can we start to think about doing that
1: well i reckon it's about understanding where your language is naturally fitting to begin with i mean i've mm. got i can show you on the screen what it looks like just so if people are listening or watching they can get a sense of it would that be useful
0: yeah that'd be helpful actually and for those yeah. who are just on audio um then i can if you send, send it through to me right i can pop yeah. a link to it or, or something.
1: Yeah, for sure. But can you see that
0: now? Yeah, it looks beautiful.
1: Yeah. So this is kind of, I think, it's really useful to kind of figure out, okay, where is my language? What is this doing? Potentially, it's a bit patronizing um, or confusing or destructive. And you'll notice that some of these are um, blue. And I think that's because these, these blue quadrants are mainly, they come from a space of fear. Um, The positive jargon, the patronising quadrant, that comes from a space of the fear of getting it wrong. Like it comes from a space of wanting to be kind, wanting to say a nice thing, but it ends up being quite cliche. And so a lot of um, parents or patients often hear things like, well, especially in my space with a child with a significant disability, you know, I was told all the time, parents are um, special parents are given special kids, you know. And I wasn't feeling special. I was feeling exhausted and traumatized and grief-stricken and and full of anxiety and everything was at risk. And I was just desperate for some kind of help or anchoring. Or you hear things like, stay strong, or you're so brave, or I couldn't do what you're doing. Or, you know, this is sort of the space that um, a lot of these words come from. And it doesn't land as kind or caring. It just um, isolates further. There's no connection point. And the jargon negative quadrant, the confusing quadrant, this is where I think the most medical language just naturally just falls just straight into that quadrant because, like I said, most people don't speak medicine. They speak regular person language. And it's about how can I make sure that my medicine language is translating into um, something that my patient or the person in front of me can actually understand? Like have I ensured that they've left the room understanding everything I've said or have they made it meaningful to them you know, or have I just listed off a whole lot of words that I can speak fluently, and I've forgotten even how to I don't even think about it anymore. You know, they rattle off multiple ventricular septal defects, like it's the you know <laughs> breakfast cereal, you know. But for someone like me as a new mum, like that was just completely bamboozling and and even just the actual diagnosis for my daughter Evie, it was so rare, it didn't even have a name, and they just called it partial trisomy nine and partial Monosomy six. I didn't know what a trisomy or monosomy was, and I couldn't even spell it. And my doctor had an, um, an English accent. And so I didn't even know what he was trying to say. Like, it didn't even feel like a real word. And so when there's confusion, there is no sense of anchoring or grounding. And how then can the patient make sense of that diagnosis and then empower themselves to take the next next steps to look after themselves? So they're constantly just relying on um, the internet which just causes even more confusion. And there's just no way for the healthcare professional to know what have, what have they made this mean? What have they heard? What have they misunderstood? And then what have they left the room thinking? And without asking, there is just so much confusion. And that's, that's a really dangerous space, I think.
0: Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I mean, just listening to you, I, I've actually probably inadvertently got better at not doing this since I've had kids and I've been sleep deprived because (laughs) I'm never quite sure. It always makes sense in my head, but I'm never quite sure if the connection has come out of my mouth the same way. So I'm much better at actually asking and checking in and saying, Hey, what did you get from that? Did that, did that make sense (laughs) at all? Like it made sense up here, but I don't know if it came out the same way.
1: Yeah. Right. Exactly. And just, (sighs) It's so much confusion, and you have to check in. You really do. Um, And then this next quadrant, the informative negative, and it's informative because people generally understand this language because it is. it makes sense, but it really hurts. It's destructive. It's dehumanizing. It's almost soul-destroying. So this is where we get language like retarded or... um, dysmorphic or defective or abnormal um, you can sort of sense the weight of them like they're, they're very judgmental subtractive mm-hmm. um, they take ability away they take a person's sense of humanity away um, a lot of examples of medicalizing very difficult times um, stories from our loved ones who have had miscarriages and then the the nurses have said you know they're going to clear the debris or the product of conception you know The product of conception, you know, this was a child, a dream, something that was wanted, and all of a sudden it's become almost in an instant a product of conception. So it's not even human anymore. So you can sense how that would add to the pain of the experience that's already painful. Mm. So It's about how can we be really clear and intentional about our language and think, what if someone was to read this language? How would that make them feel? Would that add to the trauma or would it ease some of the pain? And I think we're just not asking these questions about language because we've just done it in the past. This has been what's done in the past. This has been how it's been and um, we haven't reviewed it. Like even the word retarded, you know, this is a word that's still being used a lot and it is used to really intentionally hurt a person. And so it's just it doesn't feel appropriate in the medical world to, to keep using it. We need to adjust this language as language constantly evolves and adjusts culturally
0: mm, and I think you said one thing there that is actually a really great frame to run things through to check in if if I, are you being destructive in your language mm-hmm. is just is this going to add to someone's trauma or is this going to ease someone's pain the way that I that a way that I say this and the way that I deliver this
1: Yeah. I mean, sometimes there is no nice way of something that's really difficult. You know, there's there's no way that you can make it better with your words, but you can not make it worse. Yep.
0: Yeah. Yeah, the, the whole first do no harm uh, philosophy. Exactly.
1: exactly. And I use that so much. And often the first harm is done with language. Mm. And often we, I heard this so much with um parents of children being diagnosed with Down syndrome mainly or other genetic conditions. And the first thing that these parents heard was, we're so sorry. I'm so sorry. And so the first thing they're hearing is bad, sad, judgment, wrong, sorry comes, it's so weighty. It's not congratulations, you have a son or here is your daughter. It's I'm so sorry. And so they go, oh, and then they see their child, but they've just gone, oh. Yeah. You know, and even just simple shifts like um, risk and chance, you know often you know there's a chance a 50 percent chance that your child will be a boy or a girl, but there's a one in 250 risk that it will have Down syndrome.
0: Mm.
1: but all of a sudden there's a there's a negative connotation with that risk. And it's like what yeah. what's what is our judgment here and it comes down to your um, overarching um I guess systems of belief like, what are we believing? that then is influencing how we're communicating this language. If we deeply believe that a child with Down syndrome um, is a risk, then that's going to come out in our language. But if we deeply believe that a child is born and it needs to be honoured as a life, (laughs) then that's going to change our language. And so it's it's really, it comes a lot down to what we believe and what we value.
0: Mm. And I'm just running through my head, like there's a 50% risk that your child is going to be a boy. Yeah. How does that come across?
1: Exactly, right? Mm. Yeah. And then in the last quadrant, um, the positive informative. This is empowering language. And it's, I like to call it, you know, kind of clear, kind, and curious. Uh, it's clear. Um, it doesn't add any pain. And it's curious in that it does less talking and asks more questions. Like it really seeks to understand who the person in front of the healthcare professional is. So I'll give you an example of the first time this kind of communication was used with me and the impact that had. Um, So with Evie, with her being born and with this significant genetic um, anomaly, both my husband and I were tested for genetic anomalies ourselves. And it turned out that I am a carrier for what Evie has. And I didn't know that this was within me. I had no idea this was all news to me. So we went and saw a clinical geneticist. Um, and with a whole lot of other stories with traumatizing healthcare professionals, I was extremely wary of healthcare professionals. I often felt really stupid around them. I didn't know what questions to ask. That's another thing. Like when when a person is in the confusion state, when you're confused, you have no way that you can make a good decision, or how do you even think about a question to ask if you just like I don't even know what you said. Like how do I even begin to form a sentence, there's no anchoring, but anyway, so that was the space that I was in when I went to see this clinical geneticist, but the first thing that he said to me, he didn't give me a big list of anything, no charts, no information, he just said, Rachel, what do you know about chromosomes, and I just said, look, I couldn't even draw you one, and that was our beginning, that was his opening, and in that moment, it took him 20 seconds to establish that my health literacy level in this area was beyond ABC level we were starting at the beginning and so he started there and he started drawing this chromosome and then within a minute I could clearly see what all of these other healthcare professionals have been trying to tell me and I felt so empowered I really did because I felt like I'd learned something significant that was going to help me as a parent understand what was going on in my child's little body and then I got so excited because I'd learned something new and then I was able to take my own journey and learning and so I grew and I could kind of come up to where I needed to be faster because I felt a sense of trust with this healthcare professional Um, he was giving me his knowledge in a way that I understood and I could learn and grow from it was beautiful
0: Awesome. And when things like that happen, it's it's amazing. And yeah. I mean, a, as an added benefit of that, I'm sure a lot of people were asking you questions as well. And the time that the couple of minutes that he took to allow you to understand meant mm-hmm. that you could answer a lot of other, other people's, your, your friends and family's well-meaning questions yeah. and reduce a lot of stress for yourself there as well.
1: Exactly. And I think you've touched on a huge point because that's the other thing. Like when the the patient's confused, how are they going to meaningfully share that information with the people supposed to support them? Like everyone's confused. And then if people don't understand what's going on, then how how on earth are they going to move forward or or get better or progress on their health journey? They're going to then come back to the doctor and come back again and come back again. And there's going to be unnecessary appointments potentially, unnecessary admittances because they haven't understood in the first instance what's been going on and I think if you can kind of guide a person to be empowered to take responsibility for their own health isn't that the best way forward as well with the supports in place
0: yeah I think um I kind of my wife's a public health physician so we have conversations about okay how do we how do we improve the health system and my my belief is that we, we do need to, as health professionals, we need to be empowering people to take responsibility and, and facilitate help them facilitate healthy behaviour change yeah. because we can't continue to be the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff for people. It, it's It's not going to be sustainable long-term from a numbers mm. perspective or a health perspective of a population or a financial perspective for governments to fund it. Something needs to shift, and, and language mm. is such a powerful tool, and, and how we disseminate knowledge is such a powerful tool to help people to empower them to, to make great health choices and yeah. live the healthiest lives that they can.
1: Mm. And I, I totally agree, and I think that's where the questions come down to it. I think if healthcare professionals can really get on board with the, the, the values. Um, of a person sitting in front of them their patient what do they really care about what are they most concerned about what does quality of life look like to them what does that mean to them what does a good day look like for them and then and then bring in health care and the knowledge and expertise to really align with that person's best self best life then that is huge and I think that is where care can really come in and, and um, I call that Allyship essentially, a real deep sense of partnering where knowledge is shared and respected. Like both sides come with knowledge. The patient comes with deep knowledge of themselves, and the healthcare comes with deep knowledge of um, the body and how it can be optimal. And when those are met with a sense of partnering and respect and trust, then oh my gosh, that can be amazing. But if there is fear, meeting fear, How on earth can any kind of health or meaningful wellness occur in that space? It's just added trauma, added pain, added cost, no benefit at all for anyone. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Um, I'm going to be a bit reductionist here and ask you, how do you put that into practice tomorrow?
1: Well, I do have another little slide, but I mean, I feel like I'm in workshop mode, but I think it might be super useful. Can cool. I Can I do yeah, that? Yeah, go for it.
0: Um,
1: so I've done the homework for you listeners, and I've got a little uh, slide here to show you. So when we're thinking about empowering communication, um, I have four umbrella questions that you can consider. And when you think of a whole person, they are made up with their. Yeah, Basically, they come to you with a backpack full of their life experiences, all their beliefs, all their emotions, what they feel about the world, their likes and dislikes. And they're basically, when they come and see you, they, they essentially are emptying it out in front of you in a big jumble. But these questions kind of help sort through that really quickly. So when you think of a person, they're kind of sitting there in front of you with things that they're proud of, things that they're hoping for, things that they're looking forward to things that they're deeply afraid of and things that they absolutely desperately need Um, and it kind of looks a little bit bit like this and when you consider all of those four questions you're really essentially honing into the dignity the capability the vulnerability and the humanity of that person in front of you and so depending on what's going on for them um, you can think of I do this as a workshop I I get healthcare professionals to think of as many different ways of asking a person what are you proud of what do you hope for what are you afraid of and what do you need because just to blurt out those four questions is is quite brusque it's a bit blunt and it's a bit too much but when you consider those as sort of the umbrella themes then you can kind of get to a point where (laughs) It becomes a tool of just an array of all sorts of questions. And this is a really tricky slide, but it's super pretty because you can get the sense of how many different ways you can connect with a person. And so when you're looking at the what do you hope for kind of piece, this is basically, this is from a, um, a health, uh, a child education, health space, um, child space. So they might not be super relevant for everyone, but what are you looking forward to? That can be a great question to really align care. What would you like to happen first? What does good in the future look like? How do you see us working together? You know, what is important to you in the future? So when you can get a sense of these are the kinds of questions you can ask your patients, and then you get a sense of how they're answering, and then you can go, ah, okay, this bit now, that bit later. I don't need to worry about this, but that information is clearly too much for them. They don't even care about this. Maybe we can forget that whole pathway Now anyway, because so many people end up on a health pathway that's not even what they want because they haven't even been asked what they care about, what's important to them. And so they end up using equipment that's not necessary or that just sits in a corner, which was in my case that happened a lot. And so it wastes resources. But if you can get right into the values of a person by using some of these questions, like even looking at the what are you afraid of? you know, Is there something you're worried about? How does that sound to you so far? Like these kinds of questions. Do you have enough support? Is there anything else particularly at risk in your life? You know, you can get a sense that these are really powerful questions that will get straight to the heart of how you can just hone in your care and your knowledge to that person in a way that is super meaningful and super relevant for them.
0: Mm, it's, that's awesome. And that's a, I mean, that's, that's a great exercise for people to go away and do and just yeah. come up with. And in a group setting as well, I think with other healthcare professionals, because I was, I was thinking about yeah. language before we had a conversation. And it's one of the great ways I think that we could look to try and train our language to move towards that that empowering quadrant is by having conversations using that language with Mm. other healthcare professionals is to is to try and drop some of the jargon yeah
1: yeah drop some of
0: the risk associated with it and I think having yeah a collaborative approach to coming up with all of those questions is like what you do in your workshops
1: yeah and it's it's awesome it's really fun and people are like oh my gosh I'm going to start asking this question instead of this one because I can see that this question is way better than that this thing that I've always done because now I can really get straight in there and I don't have to worry about that. And it's going to save so much time. It saves time. Oh my gosh. The most valuable resource in healthcare. It's amazing.
0: Yeah. 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 No, it's, it's very cool. Rach, I got a couple of other questions for you before I ask them though. I just want to, I want to ask you another question. Do you have any other slides that you want to share today before (laughs) I move on? give you the space for that
1: i think that was all but thank you it was really good
0: (laughs) oh good 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 i'm glad um rachel if people are really interested in uh the work that you do and want to want to find out a little bit more about it and and potentially work with you what's the best way for them to to get in touch where's the best place for them to find you
1: the best place is through my website which is dub dot rachelcalendar.com and there's a whole lot of resources on the website there's a white paper that can be downloaded that has um, the health language matrix on it Um, and there's all sorts of different pieces there's keynotes and things that you can see on there and all of the information about different workshops and programs that are available
0: yeah. Mm, and the white paper is is absolutely amazing it's oh, uh absolutely. it's not just informative it's also beautiful which you would <laughs> expect with your artist <laughs> artist background um rachel thank you so much for joining me today it's been an absolute oh, pleasure, pleasure to to talk to you i've i've had a great time and i've also learned uh, learned quite a lot which is is a very nice uh, nice bonus
1: definitely Definitely. Oh, it's such a pleasure. And I love what you're doing. I think the art of healthcare is, is brilliant because it is an art, an art and a science. And, and I think, yeah, if, if language can be used to benefit healthcare professionals and patients as well, like that's, that's awesome. It's awesome.
0: That is a wrap. Thanks everyone for tuning into the show. If you've enjoyed it, then make sure to hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app. So you don't miss any of the weekly episodes If you want to support the show, the best thing you can do is to share this out with a mate that you reckon might enjoy it. And if you want to enhance your skills in this area even more, then watch out for the Art of Healthcare community coming in August 2021. It's a truly interdisciplinary space for us to upskill our art. If you want a sneak peek for more info, head over to artofhealthcare.mn.co. That's artofhealthcare.mn.co. And a couple of quick thank yous. First of all, thank you to my brother Jeremy Desmond for the amazing theme music. And thank you to you guys for joining me as we look to improve our art.